Welcome to TP Talks, PwC's Global Transfer Pricing Podcast Series. My name is Dana Hart, and we welcome you to our special series addressing transfer pricing readiness amid economic uncertainty. In today's episode, we will be discussing transfer pricing aspects of operations and supply chain. Transactions involving the flow of goods, services, and financing may be disrupted or economically altered. Functions, risks, and assets assumed by parties may significantly shift during the business disruption or thereafter. To speak about this topic, joining me today, I have Stefan Rausch, a transfer pricing partner with PwC Germany, Ji Hong Liao, a transfer pricing partner with PwC Singapore, Mark Philip, a management consulting partner with PwC Southeast Asia Consulting, and Andrew Fairfowl, a transfer pricing partner with PwC Singapore. Andrew is our moderator for today's podcast, so I will hand it over to him to get the discussion started. Thank you, Dana, and uh, hello, everybody. Welcome to this um, podcast. So we want to focus today on both the short-term and long-term implications of major and global supply chain disruption. So in the short term, of course, the issue is managing the P&L. Um, so decreased revenues, obviously, stockouts and increased costs. Clearly, that creates unexpected transfer pricing outcomes, which need to be managed. In the longer term, companies are going to be thinking about their overall supply chain resilience, um, which means they'll be looking more closely at their sourcing strategy and no doubt um, seeking to enhance their digital capabilities. So that may require a change in TP policies to address what might become new operating models. Now, today, as Dana said, we've got the benefit of having uh, Mark Philip on our panel, who's an expert in operations and supply chain management. So, Mark, if I could turn to you first and ask you just to share your observations on how MNCs are responding to the immediate disruption. Thank you, Andrew, and uh, hello, everyone. We're really seeing a variety of responses from the multinationals across Asia Pacific, which really depends on the respective market that they're in and the uh, level of supply chain digitalization. For example, if you look at China, China's now coming out of uh, a COVID movement restriction and we see the factories open up again. On the other side, Indonesia, Thailand, Singapore, for example, have just uh, moved towards more restrictive movement controls and shutdowns. So it really depends a bit. What we're seeing though, that is quite common across all of the multinationals is a number of different steps that they're taking. Um, one, it's understand how, how many supplies they really rely upon and understanding the supplier risks. So for example, do they have contingency plans in place for key suppliers? Secondly, it's also have absolute clarity on what are the actual anchor products that they absolutely need to be in stock at all times and how do they prioritize those through the supply chain? Thirdly, uh, rapidly establish a cross-functional task force to work through contingency planning, uh, not just in supply chain, but how does supply chain interact with other parts of the business, especially sales and marketing from an SNOP perspective. Um, and then a bit more advanced uh, forward-looking is a lot of our clients are conducting supply chain resilience analysis. So what we mean with that is they're looking at the entire value chain from supply constraints, demand fluctuations, inventory, the quantity, the location, the quality, production. Do we have to shut down, ramp up? Do we have to reduce the shifts? Uh, and also a lot of fluctuation, obviously, on the demand side. So really working that through and then modeling a number of different uh, scenarios. Is this just a one-month shutdown? Is this a six-month 
uh, in order to understand across the value chain, what are my inventory levels? When do I have stockouts? What happens to my suppliers? And really uh, then work through what are the appropriate interventions and when do they have to um, take those interventions? That's some of the activities that we're seeing some of the multinationals um, doing across Asia Pacific. Thank you, Mark, for that uh, context. So let's now um, just think about the deeper implications coming out of uh, this. Uh, Stefan, turning to you first, where do you see the immediate TP issues in Europe? Yeah, thank you, Andrew. Uh, I think from a, let's say, European perspective, I would start by saying more or less the obvious. We have many groups that have designed their transfer pricing policies and their, their overall business models under a kind of, let me say, business as usual scenario. But at least no one expected something like this COVID-19 scenario we're now facing. And so we have, a, as we have just heard from Mark, we have a current pressure on supply chains, those upstream and downstream, and that has an immediate impact on the transfer pricing landscape. At the same time, it offers something like um, a swift and flexible uh, potential revision of the TP strategy and methodology in the mid to the long term. But let's just focus on two areas. The one thing is intercompany financing, the access to external funding and cash. And cash. It will become more challenging and businesses will try to take everything to draw cash out of the areas where they're working, deploying cash where lines are down. Let me put it in other words, bring back cash to the home country. The use of intercompany financing centers and cash pooling models can obviously help groups to improve their cash position, optimize cash management, reduce overall cost. And many companies have introduced that already but again, not under the impression of something like COVID-19. So that may have an impact on the arm's length nature of the terms of existing and new intercompany financing arrangements. And this all comes along with what we see as the new chapter 10, which has only arrived very early this year. The other topic I'd like to raise in the transfer pricing perspective, change in, in margins. If you look at the automotive supply industry, you're seeing companies which were struggling already before. If we now look at the systems where we see routine entities, the question is, should they also earn in future this kind of routine remuneration, kind of re relative stable remuneration? Tax authorities will have an appetite to say, we are challenging this and should not routine entities be in the same situation and actually earn um, the same remuneration as if COVID-19 would not have occurred? I think it will be the other way around. They will argue you should have a, or at least routine entities should share something of the losses we see in all countries. Thank you, Stefan. Ji Hong, perhaps I could turn to you now for, uh, for an Asian perspective. Sure, Andrew. Hello, everybody. Given the global threat of COVID-19, many Asian businesses are disrupted on both supply and demand sides. For example, as mentioned by Mark, in April, we could observe how Chinese factories are coming back online and but customers from other parts of the world may want to delay shipments, or some factories in other Asia countries are not running due to COVID-19-related measures. However, from a transfer pricing perspective, many APEC tax authorities are very used to, or to some extent, fixated on the adoption of transactional net margin method, what we call the TMMM. The extent of impact of COVID-19 would vary from businesses to businesses, hence making it challenging for companies to comply with profit outcome from traditional TMMM analysis. A comprehensive scenario planning should be undertaken, working in collaboration with key stakeholders from, say, your commercial, supply chain, or even your HR colleagues to understand various possible business scenarios being contemplated so as to develop corresponding economic arguments to justify profit fluctuations. 
For example, once you access if certain costs incurred are linked to the outbreak and not generated due to a non-arms leg arrangement, companies can also consider modified profit target, essentially putting in place some extent of flexibility in your pricing policies. Companies should also plan ahead and determine the frequency of TP adjustments to avoid lumpy adjustments towards the end of the year and whether the frequency of adjustments could help alleviate cash flow pressures. Before handing back to Andrew, I also wanted to quickly remind businesses to be cognizant of customs implications as we are discussing supply chain disruption impact. Customs authorities are mainly focused on the value they collect for products. What can be difficult for them to accept is a change in price for a product that Crema Facey looks exactly the same as it did before the price change and is sold by the same seller, moved by the same freight forwarder and imported by the same buyer. Conversely, if a very similar product is suddenly brought from a different supplier at a very different price, this could also invite questions. Hence, any transfer pricing or profit-driven price changes needs to be cognizant of the customs risk they create. Back to you, Andrew. Thanks, Jihong. So I think um, if, I, if I was to take one thing out of um, the, the second of Stefan's comments and, and, and Jihong's observations on, um, on the TNMM, it's really um, document, document, document. Um, you know, it is inevitable that there will need to be um, changes in, in pricing outcomes and the pain will need to be shared throughout the system. And there is no substitute for capturing the evidence um, that supports that in real time um, to avoid subsequent um, use of hindsight by, by tax authorities, which we're all sadly very familiar with. I want to turn now to the, uh, the longer term perspective, if I may. So, um, Mark, again, starting with you, what, what can we expect in terms of the longer term strategic responses to this disruption? Yeah, it's very interesting, Andrew, especially um, we're seeing this is in line with developments uh, we're seeing across supply chain, um, across the globe and especially in Asia Pacific, because there's a lot of complexity and many external events that are happening be that uh, environmental or be that uh, in specific countries politically, as we've seen in Malaysia or Philippines uh, from an environmental political perspective. Um, but three major things in terms of capabilities that our clients are focusing on and that they're building up. First one is agile sourcing and supplier management. Um, so yes, it's important to concentrate your suppliers uh, and your vendors from a cost perspective. But at the same time, it will be more, more and more important to uh, build agility and flexibility into that. So how can you shift um, to other vendors? Um, how can you diversify your geographic footprint from a sourcing and manufacturing partner perspective so you can reduce the overall risk? Um, so we're seeing that trend uh, continuing quite a bit. Um, secondly, that's probably the one we see a lot of development is around enhancing supply chain visibility. So how can you leverage technology um, digitalization in order to have true visibility across your end-to-end -end supply chain, meaning having better demand sensing, demand forecasting capability, connecting that with uh, your manufacturing, connecting that with all of the logistics and distribution through your supply chain, connecting that with your purchasing um, and sourcing. So really creating a real-time end-to-end supply chain um, control tower, uh, for lack of a word, uh, with the technology and machine learning where the technology um, does the automatic analysis, the real-time analysis, the alerts, and also just the what-if scenario analysis and simulation. Because uh, companies who already have these technologies in place, we see them responding faster to external events, and we're seeing quite a lot of demand in that space. Thirdly, no surprise, there's been a lot of shift over the last years from an um, 
offline into an online world. If you just look at China and some of the developments there um, and Asia being very uh, mobile um, and online savvy, uh, we're seeing COVID-19 accelerating a shift towards online. Many, many customers are now buying online. Many companies that struggled with having an online delivery capability are moving more and more online. So we're seeing uh, more online enablement. And again, if you have uh, better supply chain visibility and supply chain management, you can better manage uh, manage that component because it is critical how do you manage the last mile, especially when you're used to delivering to a distribution center. Now, how do you actually deliver directly to home? Um, so we're seeing um, those three capabilities, the critical capabilities that our clients are building currently and, and have been building. But I think the take up will be accelerated uh, through COVID-19. Thanks, Mark. That's very interesting. So if we take changes in a supply base, which may then also prompt changes in where and how suppliers are managed, combine that with digitally enhanced supply chain management and an increased move into e-commerce, that, that clearly creates significant changes to operating models. And, and that's therefore highly likely to have transfer pricing implications. Stefan, how do you see that in Europe? Yeah, I think Mark has already stressed that the current economic contexts will be kind of catalyst for MNCs to restructure. And looking at it from a from a transfer pricing tax perspective, obviously that gives you the way to see either to relocate activities, deploy new activities, close down existing facilities, which always has an impact on the functional risk allocation between your principal and your local activities. The other reason could be to just simplify uh, the business model, which again means you have an, a clear impact on the allocation in your value chain from a transfer pricing perspective. How do you allocate between the different entities in the different uh, parts of the of the value chain? And obviously, just uh, restating that, companies start to think about, even from a tax perspective, um, if we try to bring in new digital solutions to avoid the need for physical presence, then it has again an impact on how you allocate, how you deal with these kind of activities, whether you have personal located there, whether you have any kind of home office issues and things like that. The other reason is more a kind of political thing. If you look at the discussion in Europe, particularly in Germany, uh, local governments start saying we need to think about to bring back at least some of the farmer business to Germany to be able to produce here in Germany. Whether this will happen or not is another question. But again, this will clearly show, as for the time being, we do not have this kind of production here in Germany, but this will be brought back to Germany with all consequences. Is it, one, consider the restructuring in the way of a centralization or the consolidation of activities? Is it a side activity, so we leave everything, what we have locally, but bring back some activities to, in my example, to Germany? What does it mean in terms of how can you create some cost or tax savings by re-evaluating your, your value chain. Again, this will show you how you have to allocate functions and risks, and this will have a clear impact on, on your tax situation. And of course, uh, you have to access whether business structuring is re required to protect uh, the business core of the organization. That again gives you some impact on do you have to fear or do you have to take care of exit tax situations? from both sides uh, or from multiple sides. So that's are some of the areas we have to focus. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Stefan. And Ji Hong, so from an Asia perspective, how do you how do you think about um, sort of stress testing your your transfer pricing model for the for the changes that are coming down the line? 
Thanks, Andrew. As the COVID situation continues to evolve, I think it's important for companies to identify the business scenarios or triggers for temporary change in transfer pricing model and when the permanent change should be considered. Like what you said, stress testing the existing model to see if changes in the supply chain arrangement warrants a shift in tax model in order to reflect actual business conduct and current business priorities. Another way companies could look at this is introducing potential variations in tax model for select jurisdictions, say for some in Asia, taking into account of local nuances. In the interest of preserving the existing model, companies should carefully determine the approach to introduce or manage one-off transactions, including how such transaction could impact the overall profit level of the local entity. Companies should be mindful that enforcement efforts are likely to increase in the coming years with major strain on budget in order to combat COVID-19. Many will be aware some APEC tax authorities monitors changes in tax payment or profits using their internal systems to, to identify audit targets. Hence, companies need to be prepared in order to be able to identify the clear substantiation for underlying business changes and it is critical for the tax function to stay connected with internal stakeholders. Companies need to plan ahead and the tax function needs to have access to critical business data and collate them systematically in order to defend the temporary deviation to tax model. And if I can quickly touch upon the customs perspective, customs officials are not very concerned with functions, assets and risk. In their view, they should not really have an impact on the price of a product that is imported. Any price change based on changes in functions or risk are only likely to be challenged by customs. In addition, care should be taken that any exceptional temporary pricing is clearly identified and supported as such, so it cannot, or at least it is harder to be, used by customs authorities to challenge historic or future pricing. Andrew, back to you. Thank you very much, uh, Ji Hong. So, um... Before we draw to a close, perhaps um, Stefan and Jihong could just ask you for your, your key takeaways from this discussion. Yeah, if I may start again from a European perspective, but I think that is kind of global perspective. There are two points I'd like to raise uh, beside what we've all said. Uh, the one thing is, um, from a tax perspective, any measures you think about reallocation of functions and all the stuff we've discussed, take it proactively. Because we have, we have, we will see an increased pressure in the form of tax audits. There's no doubt about that, and that will likely result from the current government's actions we now see. And I'm saying this with all respect, but governments will face an increasing need for money, and transfer pricing is the likely soft target to say it like this. That's the one point. So be proactive. The other point is um, more pragmatic that MNCs uh, can start thinking about some questions. The one thing is, do my existing contracts, my transfer pricing policies, my advanced pricing agreements, and particularly the critical assumptions in that, allow for flexibility to capture the existing situation? Or do I have to work around? Do I have to contact my um, competent authority to work about the APA? I know that is not done within a week, but you should think about it. And the other thing is, again, in this respect, do you have to reach out to the tax authorities, not only to fix your APA, but also to think about um, ICAP, map situation, all the stuff in order to be again proactive. And I think you said, have said that already, Andrew, uh, start documenting what you're doing right now to be able to discuss it in three years from now. Thanks. Thanks, Stefan. Ji Hong, final comment from you? Yep. Just two takeaways for me. One is really stay connected with your key stakeholders to avoid dealing with issues after the fact, right? As senior executives develop strategic response plan, 
I think it's important for the tax function to be involved in business proposals so that companies avoid unintended tax consequences. Plan ahead and really identify the business scenario which warrants a trigger, a temporary or a permanent change in transfer pricing model. Second, as the business slowdown during this period, it is opportune for businesses to think about bridging the current gaps in their transfer pricing model or transition to a more efficient one. Many businesses are impacted in some way or another and a temporary deviation of tax model could be unavoidable. And if yes, the question is whether we want to build on this and into a more efficient model for the group. Like how many would say, it is important for all of us to emerge stronger from the crisis. Okay, thank you, Ji Hong, and thanks uh, very much, uh, gentlemen, for all of your participation. Um, Dana, I'll pass over to you for a close. Great, thank you, Andrew, Ji Hong, Mark, and Stefan, and thank you to our listeners. We will continue to release these podcasts regularly and as the transfer pricing environment demands. We also encourage you to reach out to your regular PwC transfer pricing contact for immediate response. As always, your PwC team stand ready to accompany you on this journey every step of the way. Stay safe and healthy. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.